Well, as you're turning back to Philippians 1, there's a kind of overarching theme of Philippians, a thread that carries throughout it. And then the, the back of our mind, even as we're looking into character and godly living and doctrine, theology, we, we want to be reminded there's this idea or this concept of, of this race. Um, there's an illustration of, of, of the race that's taking place. And so I was thinking about that. And 1 Peter 5.8 talks about, uh, about reminding us to be on alert. Right? To be on alert for what? Well, to be on alert for our adversary, our, our competition. Um, the other team, I guess, is another way to say it. Well, what's the other team? Well, the other team is uh, Satan. The other team is the devil. Um, and First Peter 5.8 reminds us that we have an adversary, the devil, who is described as a lion, who's, who's prowling about, right? Seeking to whom he may destroy, seeking you out. I would love to actually see a, a lion, um, you know, in action. We, you know, we've, we've got cats. There are many lions. Uh, and, and, you know, these little cats can be ferocious, right? It's pretty funny. They, they, you know, they go after the moles and the mice and the rats and the birds and, you know, whatever comes through the, the yard. And, you know, we have like, I don't know what, a hundred of them now that are patrolled throughout our backyard. They're on our roof. They're, I mean, they, they, I don't, they get, can get anywhere they want, right? Um, but it's funny. When you walk out in the morning, you, you can kind of see them stationed, right? And they're on the roof and on these trellises. And it's like, you know, I feel so bad for anything that tries to walk, you know, through, cause they, you know and, they, and they've got them like triangulated too, you know, because there's a few of them. And, and it, you know, it just makes me think, could it be... That you know, Satan and and demons are are strategically positioned like that to trap you, to trap me. Now, Satan doesn't need to be everywhere and doesn't need to be under every rock, but but the way of the world is, which is run by their father, the devil. And so, thinking of competition, thinking about running a race. You know, it reminded me of that old African proverb. I think I've shared it with you before where, you know, in the jungle, early in the jungle, right? A gazelle wakes up, you know, does his stretching first, of course. Because he's going to have to run today. He's going to have to run fast. Why? Because if he doesn't run hard, if he doesn't run fast, if he doesn't run for a long period of time, then guess what? He's going to be food for the lion. And on the flip side, every morning, the lion wakes up in the jungle, and he's got to get ready. He's got to get ready to compete for what? For his meal. He's going to have to run the race of, of his life, right? To catch up to that gazelle. Why? So that he can have a meal. Actually, it's the females who hunt for the lions, but, um, but we all like the mane. The mane's so cool, right? Um, <laughs> And so the idea is, whether you're a lion or you're a gazelle, when you wake up in the jungle in the morning, you better be running. You better be running. And as a believer, we're reminded over and over again, we're reminded First Peter that, that the devil is, is our adversary and is prowling like a lion. We're reminded in, in Ephesians to, to put your armor on. Why? Because you're getting ready to go into battle. And there's a spiritual battle that, that's taking place. And the problem is, is that so many of us wake up and we don't know that we're in a battle. We don't know that we're, we're in a race. And in fact, you're, you're in the middle of the race. You're in the middle of the race. And, and imagine if you were in the middle of a race, if you just like stopped, right? Have you ever seen a race? You know, maybe you've seen the Olympics, you know, and the Usually those are the shorter runs. But have you ever seen a guy that, you know, he's full sprint running and he just stops and goes, whoa, look at this stadium. He's just going to take it all in, right? No, there's no stopping. 
It's just go, go, go. Go, go, go. I remember one of the things that clicked for me as a, as a young athlete when I was uh, a kid, my dad reminding me that, hey, look, you're, you're not competing against the guys on your team. You're not even competing against the guys in your own league. You're, you're competing against people that you, you don't even know. And, and lo and behold, playing for a couple different college teams and, and finally landing uh, at the Masters, and I was thinking about it a, a couple nights ago. It's like we had you know guys from Texas, North Carolina, um, Washington, Idaho. Um, we even had this guy from you know the Czech Republic. And it's like, and now even more so, you know, if you're a young man and you want to get a scholarship, you better understand that you're competing against the entire world for potentially that one scholarship. So you, you, you better wake up running, right? You better wake up knowing that you're in the middle of the race. Well, the idea of the race here is, is, is that calling to compete. There's a calling to compete, but it's, it's the idea that, um, you know, a race is our Christian life, Christian living. So we don't want to get too caught up in the sports metaphors, which would be really, really super easy for me and fun. Um, so today we want to look at how Paul establishes uh, this, this philosophy for running the race of life in four ways. So there's four ways that we can kind of fix our eyes on Jesus here, okay? Uh, one is the course through prayer. Two is the course through joy. Three is the course through life. And four is the course through citizenship. So through prayer, through joy, through life, and through citizenship. Citizenship. Well, let me read for you first um, out of Hebrews, because this was kind of the what drew me back to Philippians. But Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance. Let us put aside all the obstacles and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and protector of faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, so we're to lay aside all those obstacles that get in our way, including sin, and we're to run the race with endurance. How? We fix our eyes at the finish line, right? We fix our eyes on, on the path. We fix our eyes on Jesus. That's, that's how we do it. Well, back to Philippians. Philippians in chapter 3 says this. Um, Brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet. Because remember, in Philippians, and we'll, we'll get here, uh, there's a buildup and there's instructions of, of how we're supposed to live. And then all of a sudden, Paul says, okay, hold, hold on a second. Brethren, I, I don't want you to think that, that I'm already there. As a pastor, as a preacher, you know, I would stand before you and, 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 you, know, and, you, and you want to say, okay, time out, time out. Just so you guys know, I'm not there, right? I haven't reached this, this point yet. But, but I'll tell you one thing. Uh, I don't regard myself as laying hold of it of yet, but one thing I do do, I forget what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize. What prize? Of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, so that's our goal. Our goal is to, to run this race to, to press onward towards that price, towards that goal. But one of the things we need to do is don't look back. Don't look backwards. Uh, it's one of the great lessons you learn in, in baseball. In, in baseball, you know, you could have, you know, be, strike out three times, come up in the bottom of the ninth, and you get that one hit to win the game. Everything's solved, right? Problem's over. Um, you don't worry about what happened in the past. Why? It's not going to help you to perform and do well in the now or in the future. And so, 
for some of our background, let's get back to Philippians 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what we see here is in the context, Paul is writing to all the saints. And this is important. All the saints in Christ Jesus who are, who are in this church of Philippi. Including overseers and deacons. Now, that, you always have to pay attention when you see added phrases or words or sentences. Because the idea here when you read to all the saints would be, well, he's writing to everybody, right? Of course, that includes the church leadership, um, the deacons, the overseers. But somehow he needs to make an emphasis here. As if, well, maybe, maybe they don't quite understand that this is for everybody. It's not just for, you know, um, the average churchgoer. No, this is for all of us. Uh, it was for all the people in, in, in the church of Philippi. It's for all of us to glean and to learn and to understand, you know, what this, this philosophy uh, for running the race is. You know, we, we all need to understand it. And so, there's an encouragement here. It's written to, to, to everybody, and, and it's written so that you guys understand, and we'll get there, while Paul's in prison. So this whole letter is written by a guy who's behind bars, who is not sure if he's going to get out or not. And yet he's writing this to, to everybody. It's not a rebuke letter, by the way. This isn't, you know, a kind of a I got you letter or I'm disappointed in you letter. No, it's, it's not that at all. It's, it's just, look, this, this is a love letter. I, I'm, I'm longing to see you, to be with you, but let me give you some, some words of encouragement. Um, and so it's a great letter for us. It's a great letter for... For us here at Ravensdale to to remind us that I don't care how good or great you think things are, um, it's still good to, to go in for, for the checkup. It's still good to be reminded you're in the middle of a race. Okay, maybe you've slowed down or maybe you've stopped, um, but you are in a race. And so in chapter one, we see this foundation for... Uh, for Christian living. And remember, this is the early church. Um, Philippi is in that northern area of, you know, where, where Greece is. And there's other churches like Thessal Thessalonica. It's Thessalonians, easier to say. Those guys' church. Um, in Corinth. And, and it's in one of these providences where, so you've got... <clears throat> You've got Jews who are living in the city, but not as not as much as some of the other towns that we've been studying, like you know, like the Book of Hebrews or Romans. Um, this is actually a place where uh, Romans would go and retire. Um, so there's a lot of people from Rome who are who are stationed in in Philippi, and and that'll come to. Um, mean a little bit more in, in chapters to come, but but these are the the types of people who who are at this church. They're 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 Jews and they're Gentiles. Okay, so it's it's a little bit mixed bag of of everybody. And so our first um, you know first philosophy of running the race that we want to take a look at then is is this philosophy for running the race with prayer, with prayer. And so verse three. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for, all, for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you 
all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So <clears throat> notice that the, the way this is written, this is not like some kind of stale or robotic, you know, syllabus. This is written to, uh, with, a, with a personal touch, right? This is written with, with, with emotion, Take a look at some of the, the, the phrases. I thank my God for you in remembrance of you. I, I'm, you know, I'm, he, he, he's, he's thankful. He has them on their mind. He's, he's happy about this. There's, there's, you know, his heart is, is in it. He's longing for them with affection. Well, I, I, I can understand this. I, I've been involved in churches or ministries, and even though maybe I'm no longer there, um, you know, a ministry that's always on my heart constantly has been the Bible Tabernacle, which is, you know, in California. And, and, and it's not just a place. It's not just a ministry. It's like I, I have affection for them. I have love for them. And, and that's the way, the way Paul is uh, approaching this letter. And so where does he take that affection? Where does he, he take that love? Where does he take that, that, that personal um, touch to? Well, he takes it to this concept of, of prayer, of prayer. I thank my God in remembrance of you always. How? By offering prayer with joy. In my every prayer for you. So he, he establishes this, this race, this running in this race by, by laying down first this, this, this prayer. We talk about this all the time in the disciplines of, of a godly person. Well, how do you accomplish godliness and character? You stay in the word every day, right? You, you, you meditate on God's word and, and you pray. What do you pray for? Well, of course you pray, right, for yourself and, you know, to be holy and righteous and repent and confess and ask and confess and thank. But, but you also turn your prayer and affections to others. And that's part of the race. See, you're, you're, you're not just in a, a race by yourself, okay? This is like a, a, a team sport. You know, I, I ran a little cross country and, and you know, I, I kind of got tricked into that um, out of playing football. But I never really fully understood the concept of the points system in track and field. But there is a team concept. And even though you may see that person out there all by themselves, uh, their points count. And, and there's a, a team concept there that's a beautiful thing. And so... Even here in this, this running the, this race, Paul understands that, that he needs to pray for others. And so he does. He prays for others. Uh, verse 5 and 7. Uh, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So this affection, this, this prayer, this, this unity is, is linked in now to the gospel, right? So we, we talk a lot in the church today about uh, let's come together Right? Let's have a big, giant, massive uh, crowd and group and celebration. For what? For, for what purpose? Just to have a big crowd and group? Well, no, there, there, there is a purpose. And, and part of the purpose here in the philosophy of praying is, hey, look, we're, we're praying about something specifically, you know, defending and confirming the gospel. Things are happening in the world here, right? The, the early church is under attack. They're trying to kill it before it gets started. They're going after the leadership. Here's Paul in leadership. 
So imagine if Paul, imagine if the apostles are wiped out within the first year of Jesus' death. What happens with Christianity? Uh, It gets real ugly real fast. Today, we think, well, we have too many Christians. No, now we can get swallowed up by the millions and billions and millions of, of other people and voices and ideologies and ideas to where Christianity's voice is just silenced. So you can abolish it a different way. Well, the Philippians philosophy for running the race begins with prayer. That that prayer has uh, meaning and purpose. It's driven by the gospel. And then it has confidence too. Because I don't know about you, but this race of life, it gets hard, doesn't it? It's not easy. It's a lot harder than, than, than we thought. But we have this confidence. What's our confidence in? As an athlete, what's your confidence in? It's in your, your natural born athleticism. It's in your, your preparation. It's in your, you know, your practicing. It's in your coaching. It's in your t- teammates. For us as believers, for we're confident of this very thing, that he, that's God, who began a good work in you, will perfect it until the day Christ Jesus. What, what, what a great thing to be able to lean on, to put our confidence in. We don't want to put our confidence in each other. We don't want to put our confidence in the leadership. We want to put our confidence in God. And, and here's just a, a, a nice little reminder and blurb that, you know what? Paul Right? Paul, like the granddaddy of all Christians, okay, says, look, I don't put my faith in you or in me. I put it in God. And guess what? God began a good work in you. Do you guys realize that God started the work in you? That it's your salvation, your belief comes from God. He's the one who began the work in you. And you know what? Isn't it great to know that he will be faithful to complete it. He will be faithful to it. It's, it's like having that coach that will not let you fail. If you've ever played in, in sports or, you know, or even had a boss, you know, somebody who just, they weren't going to let you fail. They, they would come around side you, put people in your way, build you up, make you, whatever it takes to not let you fail. Well, Paul's foundation for running the race begins with this gospel-driven prayer. It's deep, it's intimate, it's specific, it's personal. It's not just, you know, the the rah-rah coach. I was talking with my son yesterday and we were reminiscing about, you know, one of his favorite coaches when he was nine. And, you know, we look back at it now and it's like, wow, you were nine years old, right? That's a little guy. And to have these coaches that were just, you know, vain, popping, top of the level, yelling, screaming, abuse. I mean, if, if there were a video camera on them, they probably would uh, have some legal issues. And, you know, Caleb loved it. He loved them. They weren't just rah-rah. They were there to help them to to make them better. And so... Sometimes we get caught up in, you know, this, this idea of we're just all here to be, you know, rah-rah. But it's like, no, we have, we have these coaches. And in this, this context here, the coach sets you on course. The coach reminds you you're in a race. Be prepared. Well, the second mark for Philippians and running the race is joy. Joy. How's that? Well, verse 12. Verse 12. Now that I... I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be true, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some from goodwill. 
The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Well, one of the marks of, of, of running this race is to have the right attitude. You have to have the right attitude. And again, as putting on my, my athlete's hat, it's amazing how many teammates or individuals um, may be great, but they have a terrible attitude, right? Terrible attitude. Either they're not team players and that's bad, or, or they're selfish and that's terrible. But the worst one is the quitters. Oh, the quitters. They drive you nuts, right? They, they have this talent. And as, as a catcher, I used to have to go out and talk to these crazy pitchers. Um, you know, they're like these little, well, they're all different. You know, some are, are big babies out there. Some are dummies. Some are competitors and, and some are just gutless. And so, you know, you have to like be a psychiatrist when you're a catcher and you go out there and literally, you know, I had, you know, our best, most talented guy with all the tools and he got drafted and signed, but he had no heart. He had no heart. And he, had, he did it because he didn't have the right attitude. And it was just, you know, it drove me crazy. Well, it makes me wonder how we live and how we're supposed to have not just confidence, but, but joy. We're called to have joy. And we see here's Paul and he's, he's in prison, right? And he's even saying, hey, you know what? Don't worry about this. In fact, this is great. I'm, I'm preaching. I'm, I'm witnessing to the guards and to everybody else. And you know what? My word is going out and I'm, I'm, I'm having a ministry here. We've met those people, right? We've met those people. It doesn't matter where they are, what they're doing, how good or bad. They're just, everything's always great. You know, and they're, they're, they're happy. They're filled with joy. How, how do you get to the point where you come to verse 18 and you say, I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. I will have joy. It's because you make a decision. You're going to make a decision to change your attitude, to, to have the right attitude. So it doesn't matter if you're in jail. It doesn't matter what kind of trial you have. It doesn't matter what kind of obstacles come in your way. Yes, I'm going to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. And what's the source of this joy? Well, verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. See, it doesn't really matter what the situation is. Do you get to preach Christ? Do you get to preach the gospel? Yes. Okay, then let it rip. Right? You have all the money in the world. Then preach Christ. You're the poorest person in the world. Then preach Christ. You're just fighting to struggle to survive. Then preach Christ. Doesn't really matter. Why? Because the source of your joy isn't the result. This is what disappoints me the most in the interviews with, Christ, with Christian athletes. See, they only interview them when they win, right? I want you to interview Tim Tebow when he loses. Because you know what? I guarantee you he has the same answer. And, and it's going to be even better. Because he has the joy of the Lord. And it doesn't matter if he wins or loses. His confidence in the source for joy comes from something else, not just the end result or the trial itself. You can even see people who, you know, aren't Christians that are like that. One of the guys I love listening to when, when they lose is Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll spins everything around and be like, oh, this is a great learning opportunity, right? Oh, you know, the guy made an error. Oh, he's going to grow from this. We're going to grow from this as a team. We're going to move on. We're going to get better from this. I mean, you just, you, you can't get negativity out of him. Because you know what? Somewhere along the line, he just, he, he just loves football. He understands the privilege of being able to coach it. He's got a pure joy from it. And he's going to have a good time doing it. 
Well, we have something greater than football to celebrate. But again, there's going to be opposition. And ironically, Paul has this weird opposition that I can relate to in the sense that it says some to be sure preaching Christ even from envy and strife. So you think about competition, right? Well, here's Paul describing like preaching competition, right? Church competition. And some are going to preach Christ with envy and strife. Some even out of selfish ambition. They don't have pure motives. And in this context, they're even doing this to tweak Paul. Now, I don't think there's a preacher or a church alive that's, you know, out there doing stuff to like try to tweak me personally, right? Nobody even knows I exist. Um, but here they, they are. They're in competition directly with Paul. And part of their selfish, ugly motives is to cause him stress. Now that would make me mad. Um, I don't like it when, you know, my teams lose games. Um, But when you start getting into preaching the gospel, falsely leading people astray, leading my sheep astray, well, now that crosses the line where now I start to get angry at that as a shepherd. And Paul takes a totally different approach, which to be honest is really even hard to understand. His approach, verse 19, for I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ shall even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, he's okay with it. He, he understands that even though there are going to be those who are misguided, even though there are going to be those who personally are attacking, attacking him, um, he knows that, that Christ is in control. Christ is more powerful. And that's not going to affect his joy at all. In fact, he has confidence. He's not going to be put to shame. And in life or death, it doesn't matter. For him... Hey, to live, if I'm alive, I get to preach Christ. I get to preach the gospel. I'm going to do that till the day I die. But to die means I, I, I get to go be with Jesus. So either way you want it, I'm good. That's what Paul says here. He's good. Job says this. The, the Lord giveth and blessed be the name of the Lord, right? We should all have that verse memorized. The Lord giveth, and blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise the Lord. God gives. But what most people forget is the second part of that verse from Job. And remembering Job, who was attacked by Satan. Remember Job, who had his his family destroyed and killed by Satan. And what does Job say next? And the Lord taketh away, and blessed be the name of the Lord. Why? His joy is complete. Whether you give or you take, it doesn't matter. And so as you're running this race of life, there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be heartbreak. There's going to be heartbreak. But you know what? Do not let that affect your joy. And again, I say rejoice. Make that decision. And remember, this isn't written from a man who doesn't understand hardship. He's in prison at the the time being. Well, the third mark of Philippians, the philosophy for running the race is is to live a life for Christ. To live a life for Christ. You do not live for yourself. The chief end to all mankind is to glorify God. You were put on this earth Not for your own selfish purpose, your own selfish ambition, your own motives. You were put here to glorify God. He is the potter. You are the clay. He is the creator. 
You are the, the tool, the instrument in the Redeemer's hands. You were made for a specific function. Some of you are eyes. Some of you are noses, ears, arms. Like we, we all have different talents and gifts. But we are here to live for Christ. If you're running the race and you don't know the motive or the purpose or who it's for, then what are you running for? And again, we see this in team sports all the time where there's individuals who are playing team sports, but they only care about themselves. We are called to run this race, not for our glory, not for our prizes, not for our medals, but for Christ. And he says it as plain as he can possibly say, for me to live, life is Christ. I remember when I was in college, there were these t-shirts that were made that said, life is baseball. Oh man, I love that shirt. I thought that was the greatest shirt that was ever written because definitely for me, that was, of course, of course life is baseball. That's why I sleep with my bat because life is baseball, right? And oh, how, how wrong I was. Life is not baseball. Life is not even close to baseball. It's just a false God. I don't care what it is that you put in place of Christ. It can be your family. It can be money. It can be your title at work. It can be your ministry even if, if in the wrong context. And see, here's the thing. This, you know, we run or we play games or on sports a lot of times just, just for funsies. This is no joke. For me... To live, I, I live in Christ and, and to die is game. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I do not know which to choose. But I'm hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. That is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. We're, we're called to not just, you know, make sacrifice and suffer and you may suffer. I mean, the early church was marked by Jesus who suffered and died on the cross for our sins. The early church saints who most of them were tortured and died for the faith. The early church itself being thrown to the lions and, and the martyrs. Yes, there have been those who have been called to, to suffer and to die. You know, we're, we're actually called to live. And, and we see Paul here in this kind of, you know, juxtaposition of like, look, I, I, can, I can die and go and be with heaven or, or I can live and, and stay here and keep, keep the good work. Keep on the good work, right? And so we're called to not just like, Run the race, be first, and go in the locker room and like, you know, take your shower and go home, right? And we've seen people be like that. And we're, we're, we're called to, to bring others along, to help others. It's a great thing about sports. It's the most misunderstood concept of sports is we always look at, you know, the top three players on the team. And so many times it's, it's the bottom three that make the difference. And on some special teams... It's guys that don't even play. It's like, you know, you watch these games and you think you know so much about teams and, and you know, they win the World Series and they're interviewing guys at the, and, and all of them are like referring to this one guy and you're like, who's that? And it's like a guy who doesn't even play. It's like, he drove us. He encouraged us. He was, he was the rock of our team. Well, we're on Team Jesus, Right? And we're in the middle of this race and we're called to, to not die 
Nobody's ever told you to die for Jesus. But you are commanded over and over and over and exhorted over and over to run the race and to live for Christ and to help others live for Christ as well. To be fruitful. To be fruitful. To bear fruit. Not to just be a tree with no fruit, but to to flourish. Not to just survive, but to thrive. And in many ways, it would be much easier to die for our faith than to actually live. I know I find that to be much harder living than just making this one great noble sacrifice. Well, the fourth and final mark of Philippians' philosophy for running the race then is the proper understanding of your citizenship in heaven. Your citizenship in heaven. How how so? Verse 27, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. So we're to stand firm, stand firm, with one mind, one spirit, right? With what? With the goal of salvation, our, our prize is, I mean, there's no medals, there's no trophies. Our, our prize is the citizenship in heaven. So, this goes against the core of my being. Because I don't like the idea of everybody getting a trophy, right, at the end of the year. Um, but in this race, everybody gets a trophy. So I can... At least think about like something like the marathon, which is a hard and long and grueling thing. And in marathons, you guys may or may not know this. You either go to Boston Marathon, New York, or LA. If you finish, they give you a medal just for finishing. And it's like, okay, all right, it's 26 miles. You deserve something, right? But see, remember, we're running this race. And you're not called to be John the Baptist. You're not called to be Billy Graham, right? You're just called to be you. And so when you run this race, you need to have the proper understanding of this this goal of the finish line. What's the goal of the finish line? Well, to get there. To get to the finish line. To help others get to the finish line. And if you get to the finish line, you help others get to the finish line, then guess what? You're all in heaven. And that's pretty cool. So it's not just a winner-take-all kind of a thing. So in this case, I'm okay with it. Because if that were the case, if this were a competition, only one of us in this room were able to go into heaven because of being the most Christ-like, Jesus-loving, caring, I'm not sure I would make it. To my shame, unfortunately. So yes, I like the idea then that in this race, the finishers have a citizenship in heaven. And so we're called then to, verse 27, only then conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of Christ. There there are expectations. There are some expectations. Okay, we don't get to just, you know say I want to be in heaven and and make it so, James says it this way. You see that faith is working with his works. As a result of the works, faith was perfected, right? Well, verse 18 says, but someone may well say, you have faith. I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. We, we, we see an, uh, an understanding here what that idea of, of walking in a manner worthy of the calling is. This isn't how you earn salvation. This is what it looks like when you have it. Okay? 
You don't earn salvation. Salvation is a free gift given by God. But, 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 and ironically in Ephesians 2, we have our foundational verse, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of your own. It's a gift from God. But a couple chapters later in 401, we see a response. There's a response to this free gift of grace. There's a way to run the race. You don't get to just sign up, okay? There's a way to run it. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. How? With humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another. In love, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over and through all and all. And so we get this idea then of what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of, of the gospel? It's to be obedient. Be obedient to the, the statutes and the principles that God is laying out. One of those is, is unity. We're to be united in one spirit with one mind, striving together for faith of the gospel. Of the gospel. Again, this is why it's so important to stay on course. The thing with a race that's nice is you, you know where you're supposed to be going, right? Some races are, you know, in a stadium and they just go around in circles. Um, other races are like cross country. You're, you're out, on a, out in the mountains. Another one could be through the cities. But either way, there's a course. There's a track. You, there's no shortcuts. You don't go off course. You stay on the course. You stay on the track. You stay... In this context, with one mind, with one purpose, with one spirit. And you, you stand firm. You stand firm. And if you stand firm, and if you're on this course, then you have no fear. Passively, when we think about running a race, um, you just go and you compete. There's, there's not a, a, a real, real fear element in, in running races. It, you know, God didn't bring up an example here of, you know, like um, two gladiators fighting to the death, right? It's just you're running a race. You don't have to fear. If you're prepared, if you're on track, if you've prepared your heart in prayer, if, if you have this great attitude with joy, if you're running with the right purpose to live for Christ, and you know that, look, all you've got to do is stay on course, stand firm and finish, you're going to be in heaven, you're going to be okay. But you have to do those things. You have to be, verse 29, ready to compete. Because you know what? There will be opposition. There will be opposition. I promise you. I promise you. That there is going to be some suffering. Um, verse 29. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake. Not only to believe in him. But also to suffer. Why? For his sake. Be ready. Be ready for the obstacles to come. Be ready for the roaring lion who's prowling about. Verse 30, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. You know, Paul suffered greatly, right? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I more so. In far more labors. So here's Paul laying out his history of trials and hardship. I more so. In far more labors. In far more imprisonments. Beaten times with, without number. Often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews. Thirty-nine lashes. The Jews had it 
laid out that at 40, you would die. Five times he took 39. Three more times I was beaten with rods. Once more I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked at night. And a day I spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in city, dangers in wilderness, dangers in sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And so it says, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Don't be surprised when the race gets hard. Don't be surprised. And how do we make it through? Well, we stand united with singular vision, not flinching, not dodging in our opposition. This is why it's it's team Jesus, right? You're not on your own. You're not on your own. This is why we we see Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So we help out one another. That's a beautiful thing. This is what allows us to be strong. and allows us to be courageous. It allows us to, to run the race with endurance. To run it hard. To run it with joy. To run it with joy. So the point is that we as a church are part of this team to run the race. And a big part of that then is to, is to take on <clears throat> the example that Paul has given. And one of the ways we can do that is by praying with and for one another. With and for one another. What a, what a great model and example. We pray and we pray with this gospel-centric vision and mission with the heavenly goal of, of pursuing the ultimate prize, which is to be with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.